0: Well, good morning, church family. Let me add my welcome. My name is Rob. I am our site pastor out at Capital Prez Fairfax. I'm thankful this morning that my good friend Terrence Little is out there leading the service. Uh, welcome if you're joining us in the fellowship hall. I'm excited to be with you here at McLean. I'm excited to be in the third week of Advent. We are in First Samuel. We are looking at the miraculous birth of Samuel This morning, we're going to read the first 20 verses of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. And as we prepare to do that, I just want to give you a heads up. All right, when we come to these 20 verses, they are in no way uh, mundane or neat, uh, clean or quaint. We read in these verses of a wife that is committed to tormenting another wife. We read in these verses of a husband. Um, who thinks the solution to his wife's deepest longing is simply more of himself. So that one goes way back. Um, (laughs) We read of a a priest uh, who mistakenly accuses a congregant of being intoxicated when actually she is praying to God. And in all this, we hear God speaking to his people speaking to his people then and there in the ancient Near East, speaking to us here two weeks out from Christmas in northern Virginia. So read with me the first 20 verses of 1 Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed... He would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, "Let your servant find favor in your eyes." Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear the hope that we have in Christ. Save us from despair and save us from distraction. Comfort those of us this morning that are dismayed and disturb those of us that might be complacent. Father, this morning we remember that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, it lasts forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, two weeks out from Christmas, here we are. First Samuel, and I have to imagine that some of you would like to say, "With all due respect, could we just get some shepherds, right? Like some wise men, uh, you know, frankincense and gold. I don't even need that. I'll take some myrrh right about now, right? Like we had we had Chewy the camel yesterday, right, kids? I hope you enjoyed that. Could we just stay on that caravan, like why? What are we doing with Advent in Genesis and Advent in that death spiral book of Judges, right? And, and Advent in 1 Samuel, what is going on? I'm glad you asked. Um, what we want to do in this series, our hope is that all of us would get a greater sense of the intention and the intricacy of all that's going on in this grand narrative. Spoiler alert. We're going to preach on the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve. All right? But but up until then, as we've been making our way through this series, what we want you to do is see all the streams that flow into that river. We want you to see some of the threads that make up that rich tapestry. So that's why we've been making our way through the Old Testament, looking at these miraculous births that's led us now to the birth of Samuel. So we're here in 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel. These are books about kings and kingdoms, right? 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, centrally about one king and a king that points us to a greater and true king, the king of heaven and earth. We see in Samuel someone that will be a a kingmaker of sorts. And the story of this miraculous birth, the story of the birth of Samuel, it points us to some of our, our deepest pains and most intense longings. This story shows us where we're tempted to go and where we need to go to find true comfort and joy. This story points us to our only hope. So as we make our way through these 20 verses, that's going to be the path that we take, looking at our deepest pains and longings and where we need to go to find comfort and joy and where our only hope comes from. Deepest pains, where to go, and our only hope. Let's start with our deepest pains and longings. There's the song we often sing in this season. We're singing it in some of our services. "God rescue, God rest ye, merry gentlemen. let nothing you dismay." Right Well we see in these 20 verses that someone is incredibly dismayed about something. So let's make sure that we have the family dynamic uh, down here, right? We've got uh, Elkanah, he's got two wives, Hannah and Peninnah, and right there many of us are like, yeah, what is going on with that, right? What's up? Polygamy and the Bible, how are we supposed to think about that? First, we need to be real clear that just because there is the presence of something in the Bible, that does not mean it's endorsed or that it's blessed, right? I came across one Old Testament, one Hebrew scholar this week said something helpful. From the first page to the last page, the Bible does everything it possibly can to say that polygamy is a horrible idea, right? It's exploiting women especially, but it just destroys everybody. And here in this narrative, in this story, we see the incredible pain that it brings. But let's consider what's the central pain point in this story, in these verses. It's Hannah's barrenness. We're told that the Lord has closed her womb. And when uh, our pastor Bill began this series, rightfully he acknowledged the sensitivity that this subject of infertility requires for many of us who have experienced infertility and miscarriages in all of their forms. And I want to continue with that same tone of ins- uh, sensitivity uh, while we discuss some of the differences in the way that we understand childlessness and infertility here in the modern world and the way and the ramifications that existed for it in the ancient world. For us in the modern world, infertility primarily has emotional and psychological and relational ramifications. And here's what I mean by that. When we think of childlessness today, we mainly think of it in this way. Um, I would be emotionally fulfilled if I had a child or, or I am missing something I am struggling with something in my sense of self and my identity because I don't have a child and those struggles are very real and very significant and I want to help us see that there are additional struggles that went along with childness in the ancient world alright in the ancient world um Children were your labor force, all right? You needed children so that you could generate income. The more children you had, the more income you had or could generate potentially. In the ancient world, there were no 401Ks, no Roth IRAs, there was no Social Security. Your children were your retirement plan. Your personal financial security was wrapped up in your children. Not just uh, your personal financial uh, security, but... The security of your family and your clan and your nation. The more families that had more kids, well, that gave you a competitive advantage over your rivals. Right? So, women that bore a lot of children, they were literally heroes. And women who were barren, the Jewish Talmud says that um, they're as good as dead. So, when we read of Hannah's barrenness, it's this emotional, relational, societal, financial pressure that is pushing in on her soul. And if that weren't enough, um, she's got a mouthy other wife that is committed to pouring salt in her wound. Look at what we read in verse seven. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, that is Peninnah, used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Verse earlier in verse six, we read that uh, Peninnah also was irritating her grievously. You need to know something about this word irritate. Um, it means to, to roar um, or thunder with anger. This is storm language, right? So on the regular, Peninnah is bringing a storm of pain into Hannah's life, year after year. And here we are entering into a regular holiday season. Christmas is approaching, right? And there, there may be lights on our trees, or lights on things pretending to be trees. I'm from Western North Carolina, so it's kind of personal. Um, (laughs) Lights on our houses, but many of us know in this time of years that storms begin to form in our souls, right? Many of us know that uh, there's some time with extended family coming up, and someone probably should... um, raise a, a a hurricane warning, right? Like category five because of what's about to come. Many of us know that because of divorce, um, mental illness, the tragic loss of a loved one around this time of year, that um, this is a time regularly when storms come into our life. Friends, after this weekend, we, we know, right, that there are Families in Kentucky and the surrounding states, hundreds of them, that from this time on, this time of year will mean that storms are in their life. Pain and longings. Um, before I move on from talking about pain and longings, let me say one more thing. You might have seen it this week. I want, I want to talk to our high schoolers. All right, high schoolers, middle school students. Um, Our nation's top doctor issued an advisory. I don't know if you caught it this week, right? Uh, An advisory on the state of the mental health uh, of our young people. Right? It included uh, just the declaration that there's been a massive increase in anxiety and depression among our students. On top of that, even uh, earlier in the year, the American Academy of Pet- Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Children's Hospital Association issued uh, a national emergency because of our young people, because of mental health challenges among them. Uh, high schoolers, I just want to say that we see you and that we want to see you and that I cannot begin to fathom what it's like to be a student in the time of COVID and in the time of social media. High schoolers, young adults, empty nesters, we all need to be aware of this, that, that pain and longings are a certainty. The question is not if, but when. The question for us is, where do we go when they come? Where do we turn when we're in the midst of the storm? So let's talk about where we go. Let's talk first about where we're tempted to go, and then let's talk about where we see Hannah go. All right, Penenina points to one place where Hannah would be tempted to go to find comfort and joy, right? Just societal expectation, having children, but that door has been closed by the Lord. Elkanah points to another place where she's tempted to go to find comfort and joy, right? Not much has changed over 3,000 some years. You know, Elkanah says, "Um, Hey, am I not enough? Am I not more? Then 10 sons, husbands, we've all been there thinking that we're the solution to all of our wife's problems. But Elkanah's um, logic really points to a very modern reality too, right? That we are tempted to navigate our pain and longings by trying to find hope and comfort and joy in relationships, in earthly relationships. It's a tale as old as time. I want to let you know that when it comes to your attempts to do that, um, when it comes to your attempts to find joy or hope in anything in this world, you are either going to crush that thing that you're trying to find joy in or that person, or you're going to be crushed by them. They can't hold the weight. Right? You're either going to crush your, your romantic partner or uh, your child by the expectations you put on them to satisfy your deepest longings, or you're going to be crushed by them when they inevitably fail to live up to your expectations, and you don't need to even be a Christian to understand this. I read it recently from uh, Ernest Becker, cultural anthropologist and in no way a Christian. He he, he wrote this in The Denial of Death, a book that earned him the Pulitzer. He said this about our attempts to place our hope in relationships. He says, the love partner becomes the divine idea within which to fulfill one's life. What is it we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want redemption. Nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults, of our feelings of nothingness. And Becker also notes that this, this ends in tragedy. No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood. Godhood. But, but Hannah doesn't put her hope in Elkanah. He, she, she doesn't put her hope in any relationship You see what it says there in verse 9? I want us to see it. Look at it in your Bible, on your phone. Verse 9, it says that after they had eaten, it says these words, Hannah rose. That is, she made a conscious decision to get up and go to God. And if there was one reflex that I would want all of us to have, myself included, It would be this, in the midst of storm and in the midst of pain, I wish we had the reflex. I want the reflex to get up and go to God. Friends, that's the mark of spiritual maturity. I don't care how much theological education you have or knowledge you've acquired, spiritual maturity is marked by the reflex in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our success to get up and rise and go to God. And that's what Hannah does. And she prays, and let's look at that prayer for a second. How does she begin it? She says, Lord of hosts. She's making it clear. I'm not coming to you as some sort of tribal deity or, 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 or ethnic deity. I'm not coming to you as God of this particular mountain. I'm coming to you as God of multitudes, God of armies, sovereign, majestic, omnipotent. That's who I'm coming to with this prayer. And you see what else she reveals about who God is? She says, Remember me. Look on my misery and affliction. That you are God of the universe, but you know my unique situation. No matter how obscure and rural uh, and unknown I might be, you know me. Remember me. She goes to God and asks for him to remember her. And then we see this, that that she opens up her hand. She gives her life and her future to God. Why do I say this? Because she says, God, if you will but give me a son, I will give him back to you to be a priest. Now Samuel's not born into the right family to be a priest, right? He's not a Levite, but he can enter the priesthood as a Nazarite. So so she says, I will give my son to be a priest. What's going on here? She's saying, I give up all the earthly value of my son. If my son goes into the priesthood all the days of his life, that means he's not at home to give me the emotional and relational support that sons normally would. If I give my son up into the priesthood, that means he's not gonna generate the income for the family that a normal son would. If I give my son up to the priesthood, he's not going to acquire land. He's not going to be there to take care of me in my age. He's saying, God, I don't trust in a son. I trust in you. She puts her hope and trust in God, and that brings her comfort and joy. Why do I say that? Did you notice the order of how things went down? Here's how you would expect it to go down, right? Hannah prays, then she conceives and has a son, and then her heart is no longer sad. Is that how it happened? If you look at the details, Hannah prays, and then her heart is happy. It's no longer sad. And then she conceives and has a son. The presence of God and her trust in him, that's led to comfort and joy. Again, friends, storms and pain, there a certainty. Look to Hannah as to where to go when, when pain and suffering comes. Let's finish Believers 2021. Um, we have greater clarity and greater certainty. So where are we to turn for our only hope? All right. We see in the story of Hannah, a God that can create something out of nothing. A God who remembers his people. Um, A God who can work through anyone, anywhere, no matter how bleak the circumstances. I love it. If you read chapter two, Hannah doesn't just get one son right? Hannah gets three sons and two daughters, right? Like God gives her a whole co-ed intramural basketball team. (laughs) The Lord remembered her, and I have no doubt that this morning there are people here among us that can speak to God's miraculous work in their life. I know people that have been rescued from addiction I know people here in the D.C. area that did not have a home and God provided a place for them to stay. I know people whose marriages were a breath away from being over. And God has brought restoration and flourishing. Um, Like Hannah, we should pray for God to do big and impossible things, to start new sites in Reston and to to meet our loved ones in their mental illness, uh, to bring supernatural healing to our bodies and to our relationships. Because this Bible and our lives show again and again that God saves and rescues and redeems in ways we could never imagine. But the tension and the challenge is this Bible and our lives also show again and again that sometimes earthly rescue does not come. Earthly salvation does not arrive, right? Prophets murdered. Church ravaged by persecution. Uh, some of us this morning, our, our child has not come. Some of us this morning are our struggle uh, with our sexual brokenness is still overwhelming. For some of us, rescue has not arrived. And you want to know why? I don't know. I don't know why God... Chooses to answer some of my prayers in the ways that I long for them to be answered, and others of my prayers he chooses to answer in another way. Here's the hard lesson I continue to learn I am not the Lord of hosts, not even the Lord of Fairfax. Maybe assistant to the Lord of Fairfax. (laughs) I don't know what God knows. I can't see what God sees. I would have never imagined that the path for the king of kings to arrive at his crown was through a cradle and a cross. His ways are above our ways. Here's what I do know. I do know that we can look back with an absolute clarity and certainty to something that Hannah was only looking forward to with a faint hope. Um, Samuel would come. He would anoint David as a king. And David would point to a true and greater king. king that would come from his line, the King Jesus, and Jesus changes everything about how we navigate our pain, our longings. If you feel forgotten here this morning, if you feel like God does not remember you, hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and he is, um, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is where we find, this is the logic where we find the anchor in the midst of all of our storms. And it goes like this. God has already given us what is most precious to him. Why in the world would he hold anything back from us that we actually need? Think of all that we have in Christ. We're about to celebrate his incarnation and his birth. So did God forget his people? No, he remembered them. He didn't just remember them. He came to be with them in the flesh. And if you are a believer this morning, God is with you wherever you go. Back to our high schoolers. Lean on Jesus. Go to him. All right? You will never be alone down the hallways of Langley or Woodson or Trinity. You will never go alone. And you will know his love. He doesn't love you because you're crushing it on social media or in the classroom or on the court. He loves you because you're his son, you're his daughter because of all that Christ has done. Parents, pray that your children would know the intoxicating love of Christ and thank God for all the children's and student ministry staff and volunteers and pray about being one of them. Children's ministry and student ministry didn't ask me to say that. Um, All of us this morning need to see what we have in Christ. We need to see that Christ, like Hannah, asked to be spared from a curse. Hannah, Hannah asked to be spared from the curse of barrenness, and God answered that prayer and gave her a son. Hanging on a tree, going to the cross, that's a curse. And Christ said, Father, if there's any other way, hey, Father, if this cup could pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Hannah was, was rescued from the curse. Christ was not rescued from the curse so that we could be. You understand that. The curse of sin and death is no longer on us because of Christ. And that doesn't magically make our pain and longings go away, but it does change the way that we hold them, right? All suffering has a shelf life. All evil has an expiration date. All pain, no matter how intense it is in the moment, is not permanent. Friends, let's be like Hannah. All right, let's rise and go to Jesus. He remembers us. He will not forget us. In high school, at work, wherever we might go this week, Let's rise and go to Jesus in his incarnation and in his death. And remember, friends, we're not home yet. Remember that year after year torment that Hannah experienced? And like we said, year after year on this earth, we might experience storms. But this world is not our home. In Christ, we have eternity And it's hard to wrap our heads around that, but that means year after year after year after year we will be with the lover of our soul and we will be without our brokenness and shame and grief and tears forever. Again, we can't wrap our head around that. Just think about 24 hours. 24 hours with just no brokenness. No brokenness inside us. No brokenness in what we see and what we say and what we think. Just 24 hours of that. It would be the best Monday ever, right? Now think of that for eternity. That's what we have in Christ. Let's go to him. Let's rise and go to Jesus. And let's invite our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers to come and hear about this Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have not forgotten me. I don't deserve to be remembered. Thank you that you've not forgotten my friends, your people. Help us this day and this week to rise and go to our Savior, knowing that he is our one true hope. Pray you would open eyes for the first time to that reality this day. And for those of us that forget it easily, myself included, remind us again and again that you love us, that you remember us, and that you call us to come home to you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.